see how this goes. I'm old school enough that uh, first sermon I ever preached was without a mic. And then a few years later, there was a mic stand somewhere right here, something similar to that. And then it was a mic that you held in your hand, and now it's a, a label pen, or as Pastor Dave has, a mic at his mouth. So technology over the years have changed. Um, I want to thank each and every one of you for coming this morning, and if you have your Bibles, I would like you to open up to Matthew 11. And reading from the uh, King James, uh, we'll read the first 19 verses. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look? For another. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yes. I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for God's word. We would just ask and pray now that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word. Help us to see Jesus uh, 
through this message. We ask this in your name. Amen. About 910 B.C., 906 B.C., over in northern Israel, on a mountain, a man challenged a bunch of prophets to a, if you want to call it, in our terminology, a contest. Your gods against my God. And so, in the course of the event, uh, Elijah mocked them as they built their altar, as they placed the wood on their altar, as they put the uh, meat upon the altar, and then as they danced and as they sung and they cut themselves and they did whatever it was that they could do to get their gods to bring fire down from heaven. Went on for a good portion of the day. As the afternoon rolled in, Elijah built his altar, had him bring wood on the altar, and then had him bring buckets of water and douse the whole thing, made sure it was wet, and then to even make sure it was even wetter, they had a trench around it that filled the trench with water. And then Elijah prayed, and God sent fire down from heaven. Devoured the sacrifice, devoured the wood, devoured the stone, and it lapped up all of the water that was around the altar. That was 900 years before the time of Christ, before the time of John the Baptist. Elijah is one of many prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Everybody sitting here probably recognizes that story, and we're all familiar with it. But how many of us remember what happened to Elijah after? They brought rain, and then he took off because he was afraid, and he was gone. John the Baptist is likened unto Elijah. Jesus answers four questions concerning the Baptist, and we will get back to Elijah a little bit here later. But he concerns, answers four questions concerning the Baptist. And I want to focus this morning on those four questions. Now, I realize that there is more in this text, all right, than just these four questions. I know that, but I want to concentrate on these four questions this morning. But in order to uh, understand this, a short bio of the Baptist is in order. Scripture tells us that he was Jesus' cousin. All right? We think about six months older than Jesus was. And if you remember the story in Luke, in the story of, in Luke that uh, when uh, Mary came to see Elizabeth, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leapt with the sound of Mary's voice. He lived and taught in the wilderness along the Jordan. He, oat, he ate locusts and honey. Now, how many of us here have ever ate locusts? Most of us have probably eaten honey. How many of us have eaten locusts? I, for one, cannot say. Now, Dan back there says yes. Now, I had the opportunity many years ago. We had some missionary friends of ours, and he had, I think, chocolate ants, chocolate-covered chocolate ants. No way. 
I love chocolate, but I couldn't get past the ants. Kim did. I think some of the kids did. I did not. But he ate locusts and honey. That was his meal. He wore rough clothing. Now, I had debated about wearing a gunny sack to come up here and preach this morning. I was lucky enough to make it out the door with a polo shirt because my loving wife wanted to put a suit and tie on me. (laughs) But that is who John the Baptist was. And just like Jesus, he was not noted for what he looked like. He was noted for what his message was. And he came preaching... All right, the Christ, and that there was going to be one coming after him, as it says in the Gospel of John, there's one that's coming after me of who I am not even worthy to bow down and tie his shoe. All right, that was his message. Now, he was put in prison by Herod Antipas because Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist called him out on it. Now, we have a problem. Herod Antipas, he kind of thought, kind of, that John the Baptist was kind of special, all right? And he kind of liked John the Baptist, although he may not have agreed with John the Baptist. He kind of liked that, uh, that thought, the idea of what John had to say. Maybe not agreed with John, but he liked the man. Herod Antipas was put into a uh, tight spot when his daughter daughter-in-law, daughter, stepdaughter, came out and danced. And she asked for the head, while her mother asked, told her daughter to tell Herod, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, that takes a special kind of a woman. I don't know how many women here would want to be served a platter with somebody's head on it. All right? This lady really had to be something gone there. They think that he was in prison for about a year. The first question that is asked is, are you who should come, or do we look for another? And if you go back to the Gospel of John, and it talks about John, and it talks about him, you know, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he had spent his entire life, he had spent his entire life bearing witness of Jesus. And yet here he is sitting in prison. He's wondering if John the Baptist is sitting here wondering if his life and his preaching was correct. He probably spent at least three or four years, I don't know, three or four years preaching and teaching before Christ came on the scene. And as he's sitting there in prison, he's wondering if his life was worth it and whether his preaching and his teaching was worth it. Don't judge him. Don't judge him for being pessimistic. Don't judge him for being melancholy. All right? Many of the prophets, if you go back to the Old Testament, many of the prophets were melancholy. Many of the prophets were pessimistic. All right? And you have to understand this prison 
wasn't like our jail or our state prison down there. All right? A lot of people never survived all right, being in prison. But here is John, and he has a question. Are you who should come, or do we look for another? Because he's sitting there in prison, and he's wondering. Jesus has not overthrown the government. He hasn't set up his kingdom yet. And he hasn't taken away the sin of the world yet. And lastly, Jesus didn't pick him as one of his disciples. If you go back to chapter 10, and the first several verses of chapter 10, the 12 are named. Or, excuse, yeah, chapter 10. The uh, first, first several verses, the 12 are named. And guess what? John's own cousin, John, or Christ's own cousin, John, is not in that 12. He didn't get picked by Christ to be one of his 12. But Jesus responds to him with what he has done. Not what Jesus hasn't done. Not what Jesus will do. Because the things that I'd mentioned just a minute ago, Jesus will do those in the future. But he hasn't done them yet. But Jesus responds with what he has done. John, remember the law and prophets and what they said about me. John, go back to the Old Testament. John, you know the Old Testament. You know what the law and the prophets said, John. Go back. Remember. Jesus goes on. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. The blind see, the deaf hear, the leper is healed, the mute speak, and the lame walk. Isaiah 61, 3, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The one that's not in the Old Testament text is the raising of the dead. They're not quite sure exactly where that comes from. The thought is, is that it comes from Isaiah 26, 19, your dead will live. And Jesus combined that, Isaiah 26, 19, into the verses. So both in the Jews' mind and in Jesus' mind, they would know that the dead were going to live at some point in time. All right? It was given. This morning, as I look out on you and even on my own life, do we wonder if our lives are correct this morning? I can't answer that for you. I can answer it for me. Do our lives have meaning this morning? I can't answer that for you either. That's something that you have to answer. You and God have to discuss, and you and God have to work it out. The first question was asked by John the Baptist. The next three questions were asked by Jesus himself. And if you go back to chapter 10... The way I understand it, he had picked out his 12, and he had given them the instructions, and he had sent them out. And so his 12 were gone away from him, and yet Jesus was there preaching and teaching the multitudes when John the Baptist's disciples showed up. So we are given the detail in there that as 
John's disciples take Jesus' message and they go back to John in jail. Jesus asks the people a question. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? So here's this crowd. They knew who John the Baptist was, and before Jesus ever showed on the scene, they went out. I mean, we're told in John, we're told in Luke, we're told in Matthew, they went out. All right, not only the people, but the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders as well. They went out to see John. They wanted to see this person that was out there. Jesus asked, why did you go out there? It's a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting an answer from them. He said, did you go out to see nature? Right. And as I think as Heath noted earlier, you know, it was beautiful sunrise the last, this last week. Beautiful sunrises and uh, lightning, except at 3 o'clock in the morning when it wakes you up. But um, beautiful lightning, beautiful sunrises if you're up that early, sunsets. It was a beautiful for nature. But is that why they went out? Is that why they made the trek down to the Jordan River? Unlike us, we hop in our car or hop on our bicycle and ride down there. You know, it takes a couple minutes to get up to Branched Oak. You know, they had to walk for miles. No, you didn't go out to see nature. And I kind of tossed this one in here. Did you go out to see a strange man talking strange ideas? Maybe. Third question that Jesus asks, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? This is another rhetorical question. Men with soft raiment, Jesus says, are found in king's palaces. Why? Because in a king's palaces or in our offices in town, all right, or on a Sunday morning, all right, we are... We're not doing anything. We're not going to tear our nice shirt. We're not going to tear our nice jeans or our nice dress slacks or our nice jeans or, you know, whatever it may be. We're not going to tear them. We're not going to ruin them. Kim, several years ago, was livid. Several years ago, the, the gentleman in the office that I was working with at the time he required me to wear at least a polo shirt, and I agreed. I said, I will wear a polo shirt at least. I said, I'm not going to wear a dress shirt, but I said, I will at least wear a polo shirt. So Kim, bless her heart, went down and spent about, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks, 70 bucks on about two, or each, on about two or three really nice polo shirts. And usually what I'll do is I'll throw an old grungy t-shirt in if I know I'm going to be doing something, and like I'll change out and throw a t-shirt on it. And away we go. Well, we were in a hurry that day. <clears throat> I think it was maybe the first time that I wore the polo shirt. There was, we were doing some kind of concrete something or another, and it never washed out of the shirt. And that was the first time. Kim wasn't very happy with me. So round two on another polo shirt, same thing. So in a matter of, of, you know, well, over the course of maybe a couple of months, but I trashed out two perfectly good, nice, expensive polo shirts that my loving wife 
had bought for me for work, for work purposes, but I trashed them out. Why? Because they were not designed for the job that I was doing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's the same thing. I'll tell you another story just shortly. Years ago, I, I, I was out of high school, and I came home from church, and I had dress slacks on, and I had a nice shirt on. And uh, I stopped by my grandma and grandpa's house, and my grandma's cousin was there, and he was having problems with his trailer or whatever else. So I crawled underneath. And before I crawled underneath his trailer, he made the comment. He said, Gary, he says, you're in your nice Sunday clothes. I said, yeah, I said, I know. I said, I know. I said, I can either wash or replace. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, really. And whatever it was underneath the trailer, you know, wiring, whatever it was, I don't remember. We got it fixed. Came out of, from underneath the trailer, all dusty and dirty. Didn't tear anything, whatever, just all dusty and dirty and, and whatever from being on the ground. I do not know if he ever came to know Jesus as his Savior. But I do know this that he had a full respect for me and the fact that I was willing to sacrifice my nice clothes to try and help him and take care of him. The fourth question in verses 9 through 14 that Jesus asks the people, what did you go out to see? A prophet? This was the answer that the people were looking for. Because they believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. John had only one job that was given to him, was to prepare the way of the Lord. That was his only job. He had no other job to do other than to prepare the way of the Lord. That was it. This morning I ask you, what is your one job for the Lord this morning? Everybody here, everybody here has a spiritual gift. What's your one job this morning for the Lord? Are you doing that job for the Lord? And if you're not, why? Is your reason because it's not really important? It doesn't really matter? Every job, every spiritual gift that is given by God is for a purpose and a reason and a plan within the church. Last year, I did over a million and a half dollars worth of work. I managed it, supervised it. Some people here, several, three or four people here, know the stress and the strain that I went through. And as I thought about that, you want to know what the most important job was? 
pushing a broom. The most important job was pushing a broom, not framing the wall, not doing the plumbing, not doing the HVAC, not doing the electrical. It was pushing a broom. Not managing the job, not supervising the job. It was pushing a broom and cleaning up. Because I knew that if I didn't get stuff cleaned up, and I had Ivan working, I'm going to pick on Ivan. I had Ivan working on one of my jobs. I knew that if we didn't get it cleaned up, he wasn't going to be able to go to the next phase. So it didn't matter what transpired on that project. If I didn't get it cleaned up, the next person coming in couldn't do their work. So I had to get the thing cleaned up. Sometimes that was Ivan. Sometimes that was me. Sometimes that was both of us. All right. So it doesn't matter the importance, all right, of your spiritual gift or your job, all right. It's a matter of are you obeying Christ this morning? And are you doing what Christ asks you to do? The people were looking for the prophet to come, and they believed that John the Baptist was the prophet. But Jesus comes back and Jesus says, I say that John was more than a prophet. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, 1, right, he, he is told he's the messenger to prepare the way. We have to understand that John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist was not a New Testament prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet. And he came, and his ministry was the Old Testament. That was his ministry, not the New Testament. And yet, John the Baptist was also the subject of the Old Testament prophets. Not only was he an Old Testament prophet himself, but he was, he was the subject of the Old Testament prophets because the Old Testament prophets prophesied that one would come. However, in verse 14, and if you will receive it, this is Elias or Elijah in, in different translations. This is Elijah, which was for to come. If you will receive it, if you will receive him, this was Elijah that was supposed to come. And yet the people and the spiritual uh, leaders of the day did not accept, did not accept John as the Elijah in Malachi 4. And I struggled, I have struggled over the years with Malachi 4. This morning, and, and I'm, I'm going to leave this here, I'm going to leave it, verses 15 and 19 explain uh, verse 14, and I'm not going to go into it, because there's another question that needs to be asked. All right, and verses 15 through 19 uh, talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, 
and how it reverse, uh, refers back to 14. My application this morning, I have a final question. It's a reality check. What did you come to church this morning to see? Or let me rephrase it. What was your purpose coming this morning? Did you come to see the pastor? Well, obviously, the pastor's not here. Are you disappointed? Perhaps. Here's a good one. My wife made me come. Or my husband made me come. And here is the best one yet. My mom and dad made me come. Well, if you were brought to church by your spouse or you were brought to church by your parents, remember in John chapter 2, Andrew brought Peter to Christ. Peter didn't just come to Christ on his own. Andrew brought Peter to Christ. And we know what or how Peter ended up. Maybe this morning you came to church for the music. You love the music, and you came for the music. Perhaps this morning you came for the latest styles that men and women are wearing, that the children are wearing, and that the other teenagers are wearing. And if you want proof of this one, Wait till Easter and Christmas show up and you can see exactly what Fifth Avenue puts out there for your Easter Sunday best or your Christmas Sunday best. Perhaps this morning you are here to uh, business associates or business connections. To see or be seen by somebody. <sighs> Went to go to work on Tuesday morning. We got tomorrow off. Go to work on Tuesday morning. And, oh, I saw Troy in church this morning. <clears throat> Makes Troy a good man because he was in church this morning. I saw whoever it was. Or maybe they saw me in church on Sunday morning. Makes me look a little bit better, you know, because I was in church on Sunday morning. Is that why you came to church today? to see or be seen in the work world? This one I inserted this morning when I was reviewing my notes. It wasn't in here originally. Maybe you came to church this morning because... You found out this week that you have terminal cancer or a family member has terminal cancer or you have a, a major illness in your family and you came for comfort and concern or maybe issues at home. 
The last one that I have noted is get your questions answered. How to frame a wall. Ladies, I love that cake. I love cinnamon rolls. Where's the recipe? I want the recipe. Now, nobody can make them. All right. But I want the recipe. Or this one. Doctor, my arm hurts. And in reality, yes, my arm does hurt. Sitting in Big Berean Church, probably 20 years ago now, something like that. And in the pew, maybe three pews behind me, there was a doctor there. And boy, my arm was bothering me. And I thought, you know what? After church, I'm going to ask him what he thinks. The wisest thing that that doctor told me that morning after church service when I asked him about my arm, the wisest thing that he said was, come see me tomorrow morning. That was the wisest thing that he ever said to me. And I have not forgotten that to this day. Are any of these things that I've listed wrong? Are any of them wrong this morning? Any one of them? Can you tell me? Can anybody raise their hand and tell me this morning that any one of these things that I listed here, what, eight of them, nine of them maybe? All right. Is any one of those things wrong this morning? No, because I've already asked uh, one question that comes under frame a wall. I won't tell you who I asked about. I was asking a construction question already. And I'm the one up, up here standing here preaching to you. Okay, none of these things are wrong. All right, but, but, if they take our eyes off of Jesus then they become wrong. If they keep us from seeing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then everything that I've listed plus a thousand more, all right, are wrong. We should come here on a Sunday morning, come to see Jesus. That should be our focus. Most of you know that I sit in the back chair or the back pew back there. I come with good intentions to come and meet Jesus. But as I sit back there, you know what my thought is going through that my head? If a man comes walking through, or a woman for that matter, if a man or a woman comes walking through that door with a gun, what am I going to do? It's already happened in churches around the world. It's happened in however many churches in the United States. And that is the thought that goes through my head every Sunday morning as I sit back there in that, in that chair or that pew back there, is if somebody comes through that door, what do I do? My focus is not on Christ, is it? My focus is on who walks through the door, friend or foe. Not on Christ. Did you come here this morning to meet with Jesus? The author and our Savior of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says. Four thoughts as we close. One, 
Sometimes Jesus answers our questions. Sometimes Jesus lets us work through our questions. Second, that we set aside the affairs and life's dressings to spend time with our Lord and Savior. And, and, and put the and in there, with our fellow believers. Three, God is not obliged this morning to consider us. There's no obligation on God's part this morning that He should consider us. Especially, especially if we come to the house of God not seeking Him and His Son. After 9-11 on national TV, I don't know who the interviewer was, but they and I believe somebody can correct me, but I believe it was Ann Graham Locke. They asked her, they said, where is God in, in 9-11? Where's God? And I don't remember her ex- exact response. But it was something similar to, why are you expecting God? We've rejected God for how many years now, and now that we're in an emergency and our world, the world that we've known has come crumbling down before our very eyes on national TV, worldwide TV, for that matter, and now you're wondering where God is at? God is not obligated you know, to take care of us and to see after us, and especially if we don't seek Him. And then I'm going to close with this hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, He passed and we follow Him there. O'er us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Verse 3, His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask and pray that uh, our hearts might be quickened to Your Word. We would ask that as we leave here today and we go about our weekly activities, first, that tomorrow we might take a moment to remember those who have fallen to protect us. And then as we go about our work and and whatever we have the following uh, four days, five days of the week, that we would remember you, that each day we would seek your face and we would desire to seek your face. And then I would ask and pray 
that you would bring us all safely back next week, that we may come and we may worship you, and that as we return, we would seek your face. And now, may the grace of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, be upon us all, we pray. Amen.